Hello, and welcome to The Vergecast, the flagship podcast of The Verge Network Media Group. Hmm. Uh, that's not right. V- v- V&M? Yeah, which is part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. Uh-huh. That's what I was trying to get to. Yeah. It's a thing that we're going to yeah. start saying now. That's right. Because we have a whole network, and we're the flagship of the network. <laughs> <laughs> I just it, look. The Ezra Klein show is great. Yeah, but if I know anything about boats, really you're the boat that you believe you are in your heart. Yeah, and that boat's a frigate, whatever a frigate is. Look, I've been playing a lot of Assassin's Creed Black Flag. <laughs> of course you are. And so much of that game is boat identification. You were like, finally a sequel to Sid Meier's Pirates, so we have another boat game. <laughs> it was just there. I don't know. I just started. It just started happening to me. Anyway, welcome to the Verge Cast. I, I'm here. I'm Neil Patel. Paul Miller is here. Hello. Dieter Bone is here. Hello. And here is what I'm going to tell you about the three of us. Next week, we will be taping the Vergecast live in San Francisco on the 13th. That's the day after the Apple event. So we'll have a whole bunch of Apple news and we'll have an audience. You can be in that audience. Uh, the show is going to be at the Mission Bay Conference Center in San Francisco. Doors are at six. The three of us will be there. I think there's like a chance that Casey will just rush the stage and be on uh, on the show. I, I would be really <laughs> disappointed if he doesn't rush the stage. Uh, Lauren is actually going to cover, Lauren Good's going to cover the Apple event with us. We'll try to work her in. The crew will be there. Yeah. The people you love on the Vergecast. Mission Bay Conference Center, 6 p.m. on the 13th. Dieter, what's the link for tickets? It is bit.ly slash thevergecastsf. Not just Vergecast SF, which is what I said last week. That points to the edit page for the event because uh, I screwed it up. <laughs> way to, you, way you, to reveal that information. If, if you see any typos, though. <laughs> also, my password is password123. Uh, but no, go. there's a post on the site. We've been tweeting about it. It's on Facebook. You can go to this complicated bit.ly link. Come to the show. If you're going to be in San Francisco, you're going to be at the Apple event. You live close to there. I got a tweet from somebody who's flying in to see us. Oh, that's amazing. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah, it's great. We love all of you. We'd, we'd love to see you. Every time we've done a live Vergecast, it's been the most fun. We did a bunch of South by Southwest. Dieter reminded me last time. Uh, they're always great. We love seeing everybody. You can hang out with us beforehand. There's an open bar. It's going to be great. What? 13th, 6 p.m., San Francisco, Mission Bay Conference Center. Wow. Come see. It's three of us. You know, we'll, other Verge staffers will be attacking us from the wings. It's going to be awesome. You can also, if if uh, if you use the Facebooks, you can just search for Vergecast Live on Facebook, and you'll find our event page for it. Yeah, or if you use Google, you can search on Google for Vergecast Live San Francisco Mission Bay Conference Center, and then probably find something. Right, and if uh, if you use Bing, I'm sorry, <laughs> <laughs> DuckDuckGo users, I'm sorry, this is not your day. Anyway, <laughs> speaking of which, there's a whole bunch of stuff to talk about. We got to talk about, you know. Leaks about the Apple event next week are coming fast and furious now. But I want to start with what I think is the most important story in tech ever, which is that Juicero is shut down. Come on. (laughs) And the reason I want to bring it up, one, they they literally just shut down. And the next day, the founder was like Instagramming from Burning Man. (laughs) So he's cool. He's doing fine. Yeah. Uh, But Paul, the Circuit Breaker team has been on the, the pods beat. Yeah. For quite some time. This to me is the most like the loudest pod failure that has occurred. <laughs> I mean the machine was literally loud when it like ran the compression one, thing to One of the, the bag, best right? things I ever saw about Juicero is a uh, uh, a hardware engineer did a, like a deep blow by blow of how insanely over engineered 
the product is. Yeah. Like it's basically it's it's it performs a a, a function that is sort of a hundred to two hundred dollar range of a function. Yeah. But they sold it for four hundred dollars. By the way, in case you don't know what Juicero is, it's squeezed it's bags squeezer. of juice. It's a squeezer. It's a squeezer. So the machine is a four hundred dollar squeezer, and then then which which you know, and then you uh, bought a subscription to bags of juice. Of course, you bought a subscription. I mean, that's that's what fascinates me about the pod thing. It's this 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 whole thing of 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 locking something down with a combination of an app and a proprietary object and that's really cool but Juicero just made their product way too expensive basically you can only do that sort of obsessive engineering if you're basically an apple scale like there's like hardware engineers that talk about you just like don't try to be like apple everybody when they try to make a product they're like oh we'll do it like apple like you you can't (laughs) and it's not it's not because you're bad at your job it's because you you can't buy a factory to do one part in one really specific way that you want. And yeah. if you try to get real specific or try to put really expensive components in, you're not going to have the scale to be able to sell it afford- affordably. They didn't sell it afford- affordably. Also, then they had the great scandal of, <laughs> turns out you can squeeze bags <laughs> with your hands. <laughs> <laughs> Which was great. Yeah. And there's something just u- user hostile about having a proprietary bag that you have to scan the barcode and subtract yeah. and DRM fruit. Yeah, it had every everything wrong. The thing about it though is that one of my greatest childhood memories was going to like my great aunt's house in Pasadena and she had a grapefruit tree. And we get grapefruits right off the tree and then had like a hand pressed yeah. juicer. Like that fresh juice. It's, it's really amazing. Yeah, it's, and you could get it in a bag. Yeah, and then a robot would squeeze it for you. Yeah, for four hundred dollars. Yeah, um, I, I, I for don't. for more at first. This to me is is just a joke. Six ninety nine. There's a really great video. They came to our office, and Jake made a video with them. Mm-hmm. And he, Jake, is like a sincere human being. Mm-hmm. It's a good dude. And he was trying to be sincere, and you just watch the video, and eventually the, just the reality of what's happening just overcomes Jake. <laughs> it's, you just watch the video. It's great. Anyway, uh, there's that story. The other second most important story in tech this week, not the Note 8 review, not the iPhone event preview, but the Boston Red Sox were caught oh cheating Come on. using – I'm just doing, I'm just torturing you guys with not news before we do news. <laughs> Uh, I love this story. The, yeah. the Red Sox got caught cheating. It, it, it took a lot of baseball knowledge to understand the the scope of how Can precisely ex- it was cheating, how they did it, how the Apple Watch was involved, why an Apple Watch was involved, who communicated what to who. There was a whole lot of like stuff here's, yeah. built in. Here's this. what I think was happening, given my limited understanding of baseball. Mm-hmm. And you tell me if I got it right. <laughs> because I'm a baseball expert. <laughs> Who's going to talk about? <laughs> Go ahead. Does anybody know about baseball here? Are we way out of our depth? Andrew's just shaking his head in the booth right now. Okay, go ahead. You got somebody watching a video feed zoomed way in on the catcher. Yeah. Catcher signals a pitch, says, do a fastball. Yeah. So the guy who is watching number one furiously text messages. Like a coach in the the dugout. Like the uh, somebody in the dugout? Somebody in the dugout. So an assistant coach in the dugout had an Apple Watch on. But then they'd have to tell, like, the batter can't see into the, du- 
Right. So then they like signal you need a runner on second base. So they get the assistant coach in the dugout gets a text on his Apple Watch. By the way, proving conclusively that the only smartwatches are good for is notifications. <laughs> <laughs> and fitness. Yeah. By the way, why why I not mean, have what's that mo- be what's a more fit than a professional sport? <laughs> <laughs> it's just like the fact that they did it with an Apple Watch instead of like a Fitbit, you can't cover that. You could be like, I'm just checking the steps. Anyway. If they have LTE in the next Apple Watch, <laughs> it's all over. <laughs> that's gonna be even better. Uh, so that he would get the text in the dugout, communicate to yeah. players, and the players would communicate to the runner standing on second base. It's not clear to me what this the runner on second base then did. Like if he just started screaming fastball, <laughs> like I don't know, but what, because that is not in any part of these stories. The the, the amount of steps, yeah, like how many times. I just feel like I know the pitchers take a while yeah. to th- think about what they're going to do and uh, get warm. <laughs> You're doing great, Paul. <laughs> A plus. But that that what that I, lag what I, what I, that's just so <laughs> inefficient. <laughs> like the latency on this. You know, in baseball, when the pitcher like nods and shakes his head at, at all the different signals. Yeah. And by the way, the, the signals change when there's a runner on second base, which is like key to this whole uh, conspiracy. Is they have to figure out what the different signal is when there's a runner on second. Because they, they switch it up because they know they're being watched. Um, but they like they nod their head or shake their head and then they pitch. You know, the no, no, yeah. no, yes, that one, and then they pitch. I want to see a pitcher just like shrug once. Just be like, nah, I don't know. <laughs> not like nod, not shake their <laughs> head. Just shruggy. No. Nah, I don't know. Just a shrug. And then the Apple Watch guy gets a shruggy emoji. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, a great story. I'm very excited because Apple is definitely going to reference it at their event. I think so. Yeah. The uh, dad joke of some kind is coming. People are finding all yeah. kinds of uses for the Apple Watch and put up the Red Sox logo. Yeah, but Apple also doesn't really like to admit that illegal activities exist in the world. No, but they make they make weed jokes oh, now. Every true. single Mac weed is legal, uh, but it's pretty legal. Some now. places, yeah, uh, that's true. But that, it's also just that's just cred. Federighi. I don't know. That, that's an interesting. That's an interesting bet. Will Apple reference? Yeah, I guess it's not super illegal. It's just a funny sports rule. <laughs> Yeah, it's not like no one's going to jail for this. It's not like they're using their Apple Watch to track their steroid usage. Is there a baseball jail? And can you go to it? That's a story for you. I thought the dugout was the baseball (laughs) jail. (laughs) (laughs) All right, all right. Those are the two particularly silly stories of the week. But before we get into all the other stuff, uh, Galaxy Note 8 review hit this week. It was Dan wrote it. Dan did the review. Um, I will say this. I, you know, he had it in the office. I was like looking at it. My first instinct with that phone was this thing is massive. And Dan was like, it's actually not that big. It's only a little bit bigger than the S8. He showed me his S8, which is true. It's only a little bit bigger than the surfboard iPhone 7 Plus that I'm carrying around. And I, you know, obviously what's happening, iPhone's getting smaller. Mm -hmm. So it's only a little bit bigger than the biggest phones. And then Dan is like, well, this phone is huge. Like once you use it for a while, the size of it, starts to actually dominate your usage. It's like only a little bit bigger than the S8. I think he tweeted, the specs, it's bigger than the S8 in a way that the specs do not imply. I think that is like fascinating. Like the the Note has always pushed the boundary of how big a phone can be mm-hmm. and phones have just sort of followed along in its wake. But we, have, we, have we hit the like the peak? I mean, we've had bigger phones before. Yeah. But I think this phone in particular is the phone where like you give up on any sort of 
I don't know, idea that you're going to use this with one hand. Like, you don't get a note and pretend that, yeah, oh, it's just like any other phone. It's just a little bit bigger. I'll figure it out. No, you're, you're using two hands. You're using two hands to unlock it because the other options aren't that good. You're using two hands because you're pulling the stylus out. You're using two hands because it's just a big, giant phone. Um, but the nice thing is that it's a big, giant phone that actually takes advantage of being a big, giant phone, whereas the, you know, the 7 Plus surfboard uh, just feels dopey because it's got those giant bezels. So, so speaking of bezels, uh, Jake, I hope he's published this by now. I'm not spoiling it for but Jake of uh, Juicero fame. Uh, <laughs> Jake Juicero. Uh, Jake Juicero uh, was writing about the essential phone uh, for our website, theverge.com. And he's he mentioned that because there is no bezel, the home button, the software home button on Android ends up being lower in the hand than it normally is. And so that he thought he'd be having more, you know, the phone is overall smaller because it doesn't have bezels. But uh, it was awkward for his thumb to get down to that home. But have you experienced that, either of you? No. No, Jake's because crazy. I have a Pixel. No, that's good. So that yeah. has a giant surfboard bezel. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, you know what oh, it struck me about the note? So I, Oreo finally hit my Pixel, which is great. It showed me a bunch of fake notifications for like a day uh-huh. and then it arrived. Oreo is great. Like I really like it. But it is apparent to me now. We Can you tell the difference between Oreo and Nougat? Like I can because I, you know, I'm a nerd and I'm trying to – you know, write the review. Uh, I'm doing a bad job of it. Vergecast tradition. I admit that I'm working on an article, <laughs> and now I'm, that I'm forced You're doomed to, to publish it. work um, on the website. Uh, yeah. I, only like the the things that leap out to me on the pixel, and they the only things that are obvious is the notification shade is different. They're reorganized. I really like how they stick the unimportant notifications in that little secret tray under the main notifications, and obviously it's white, yep. not black. That's the stuff that I think most people would pick up on. What I've picked up on the most is how much faster it feels. It's just a lot smoother. Mm. Like the the performance of the phone is evened out in a way that I really appreciate. And everything is a little like nipped and tucked. But if you're not looking for it, you're never going to see it. But what that indicated yeah. to me, which I think is interesting, is we've given Samsung a lot of shit for TouchWiz over the years. Samsung has accomplished refinement on top of a platform that wasn't refined for a long time. And now I think Oreo is up there. So it's what the value of TouchWiz on the Note 8 is like all these other crazy Samsung features, which is always what we have thought of as the value of TouchWiz, the value in quotes. Mm. But really, now that I'm playing with Oreo and it feels a lot tighter to me, it's clear that like the, the work Samsung has done on the S8 and the, the Notes is actually – Solving some of that performance stuff. Uh, I mean, not per- maybe. not solving performance, solving some of the polish. Yeah, I could see that. I would I would suggest to you that before you make that point too strongly, you uh, use the Pixel for six months and see if it still feels as uh, buttery. Yeah, I mean that that's like I got a clean install of an operating system. It's great. But yeah, I mean, I you know all the stuff that Google's doing with like Project Trouble, the rearchitect how all of Android works. All that stuff to me seems fascinating, yeah. but it's it's got to pay off, and I don't know if it's going to pay off. So Ron Amadeo did his, his you know, 20,000-word review last weekend, and he's made some really interesting points about Project Treble and how it uh, could possibly make it easier to distribute custom ROMs because all the work that 
needs to go into making the silicon work with it. The OS is now like modularized and compartmentalized so that they could just, you could theoretically make a ROM for one phone and it would work on any phone mm-hmm. that is supported in Oreo silicon code, which is fascinating. And then, but the, the other thing is the background stuff that they're doing to shut down apps and make them just behave better is going to take a while. Uh, because apps actually have to target Oreo to follow those rules and they can still ignore them for now. You can go in deep into the settings and start forcing those rules on older apps that may or may not break them. Uh, but it's gonna take it's gonna take a while for both Treble and these background processes to actually make a significant difference uh, once you've got your phone loaded up with apps. Uh, the thing I'm not looking forward to is you know how, the new version of Android comes out, and then for the next six months, we say, oh, this phone come out, but it doesn't have the new version of Android yet. When's it going to get it? And then they give us a timeline, and then we see if they stick to the timeline, and they never do, and blah. And we just have all the things. Oh, when's the first actual new Oreo phones? When's the new stuff coming out? We've done this every year, right, for yeah. eight years, however long it's been. Um, this year, not only do we have to ask, will your phone get Oreo? We have to ask, will your phone get Oreo and be trebleized because treble is a system for uh, engineer system to like force everybody that makes android stuff to make it more easily upgradable by modularizing the stuff right um but if you are upgrading from seven to eight you don't have to like buy into that whole modular system they're giving everybody a pass and so a bunch of phones are going to get Oreo, but they're not going to be "quote unquote" trebleized, which means that they're not going to be on the faster upgrade path to Android Nine when that happens. It sounds delightful, but won't every new phone yeah. have trouble? Every new phone should be yeah. like strict to the if it rules. if yeah. it ships with Oreo, it should be treble. It's trebleized. Yep. Yeah. So we've got one round of flagships happening now that probably won't. Is my guess correct? Yeah. Yeah. But back to the Note Eight, we got way off track here. Trouble, man. I'm pretty excited. Trouble. It's trouble. <laughs> oh, my God. That's for our chest, everybody. We'll see you in San Francisco. Um, I kind of want this live message thing. Yeah. And, like, the... Yeah, that's, that's my favorite the part. The little thing where you draw with the, yeah. a message. like with And it style. animates when you send it as a gift to people. It's a gift. So it's usable in the world. Yeah. Not like Apple's weird digital touch stuff, which... I would point out, launched to extraordinarily great fanfare at the first I was Apple so Watch excited event. about it. And I have never seen one again, basically. I can't even find the little, you know, their little creepy character? The creepy When the character? Apple Watch first came out, there was like the little creepy face. Little creepy face. Yeah, it was like, it was like oh, an well, animated you gave, you smiley gave him a nickname. face. His name was, oh, that his guy. His name was Thirsty. We that gave guy. him a nickname on the side. Thirsty. Uh, just yeah. gone. Just disappeared. Someone tweeted at me and Lauren today that last year at the iPhone event, when they did the new Apple Watch stuff, they're like, we're partnered with Nike, and every Sunday is just do it Sunday. And that's that's going to – they made all this nope. fanfare about it. Uh, it's just one of those things. It's like all these announcements come, and they like wash away, and what's left is what's good, which is fine. But the live message thing on, on the note feels like one of those things as well, where it's like super fun to play with, and it's a little bit more accessible, but it's going to fade away. The thing I love is because it's an OLED screen – you can write notes on the lock screen and save them as notes on the lock screen. And then when you look at the phone, the notes are just there, kind of like dim. So it's like a piece of paper. That's cool. Yeah. Note stuff. It's just like a lot of note stuff. The one thing that is not great, uh, I think, is like the 
you buy the Note because you want a big phone and you want a stylus, but there's plenty of other big phones. This was Dan's point. You shouldn't buy the phone because you think the dual camera thing is awesome. Yeah. Because it's fine. Yeah. I mean, I like that you can change the focus. You can, like, play with it. They, like, let you into After it. After the yeah, fact. they let you into it a little yeah. bit more, which is neat. I'll tell you what I hate about it. Um, it's not the default camera mode because the it, when you do a live focus on uh, on the note, it takes the wide angle, it saves a telephoto, it saves all the data, it lets you do the blurry stuff, and it just ends up being huge. And as far as I'm concerned, if if your camera gimmick isn't the default, then get it out of my face. I'm never going to use it. This is why I get mad at uh, motion stills. It's not that it's a separate camera app and a separate mode that you got to go find, but it's delightful on the iPhone because it's just there for the stuff and you just find that, oh, look, I have little gifts everywhere yeah. that I didn't know I had. Um, so I hate that you have to turn the mode on. I hate that uh, you've got to like check to see if it's you know, you're taking it, the special version of the shot. It's just frustrating. Um, the photos do look good, though. But the iPhone portrait mode isn't a default. No. I, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, it, it, and even live photos aren't necessarily a default. Like, I, I, all that stuff is... Annoying, uh, but on the iPhone, if you if you turn on on the iPhone, if you turn on Live Photo, it just stays yeah, it on no matter stays how many whatever times. you on, pick. On Samsung, if you turn on things and then you leave, and then the app closes in the background, the camera app closes in the background. When you come back to it, you've got to turn it on again. Yeah. You can't just toggle it permanently. Yeah. The photos looks nice. Yeah, they I mean, it's, good job. Samsung makes good cameras now. It's the S8 camera. I mean, what do you yeah. want? And they've and they've it added the gimmick. Good. I think the real question, yeah, now is okay. Dual cameras are going to be a thing. They seem to be coming to all the phones in one way or another. It's the battle between do you have the normal lens and the wide angle or the normal lens and the telephoto? Uh -huh. and Apple's or the normal and the black and white. Yeah. I think that that to me is the the value of having a different focal length is like clearer that. Like I like switching to the zoom lens on the iPhone. And I think it's neat to have a wide angle lens. So we we had basically regular cameras, then we had take multiple images at different exposures really fast so you have like fake HDR. Mm -hmm. Now phones are faking depth of focus or depth, depth of, field. of field. Yeah. What what are they give what what what's the hot and then there's Instagram style filters to fake like old film looks. Like what's what's the hot thing that nobody's faking yet? Like <laughs> interchangeable lenses. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm with you. Like we're we're just faking our way back to a DSLR. Yeah, it, it, I just find it really interesting. I remember, like, I had a friend who's like like a big live journal person who was mm -hmm. putting those Instagram filters on photos before there was such a thing as Instagram before yeah. the iPhone existed. You know, like there's just things that we find really aesthetically pleasing. It always blows me away. Like when I first heard of the the iPhone doing this fake depth of field stuff, I was like, that's gonna be terrible. Yeah, but it's really pleasing. Yeah, it's nice. It's just so nice, <laughs> yeah. and it, bu it bugs me <laughs> that it gets me that well. But it really does. I think that James Barham, our creative director, ages and ages ago, uh, wrote a piece for us that did really well about how the iPhone photography revolution is about display and capture being collapsed. So you take a picture on the iPhone, you view it on an iPhone, you probably take another picture on the same device you're viewing it on. And that's great, and it's created an entirely kind of new kind of creativity. You make a portrait mode picture big, and you can see where it's failing. Sure. Right? And I, I think that they have to either ignore it because they know the primary, the primary display of the photos is on the phone. So it looks great on the phone. But the second you push 
any one of these photos to any other kind of medium, right. to my eye, they tend to fall apart. And I know that all the companies do the billboards and whatever, but even that to me feels like a trick. Yeah. Because you can take any photo and make it huge and then put it two miles away from your eyes and it'll <laughs> look fine. Um, so, I, 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 yeah, I think that's like the that's the goal, right? If you're going to d- replace the DSLR or the mirrorless camera or whatever, you have to actually make the fakery as good as the real thing. And I think they're... I don't know if they're going to layer on more fake things. I think they've now set up a pretty enormous challenge where if you're going to like take a bunch of your wedding photos in portrait mode and then you print them out, like you're going to notice that you didn't they're not quite as good. They look great on the phone and I think that's like I said James wrote an entire piece about how that's the revolution. Yeah, when's the last time you printed a photo? <laughs> I make photos but big like, all the time. Like I you look at them on my laptop and like we use we you know, we like run a media organization. That's true. I look at photos that's like true. massive mm-hmm. sizes all the time. Um and that's what I mean. That the revolution but, is I, most I, people take and view right. the media on the same device, which has not ever been true before. So like But but like Paul's point is if you're if you're making and viewing it on the device you should be making new kinds of photos that feel native and interesting on that device. That's why, I mean, HTC did Zoe's, <laughs> but Apple did Live Photo. It's why I love motion still so much. Uh, you're taking advantage of the technology of viewing the photos that's better than or more interesting than, you know, a print. Yeah. And I would like to see more attempts to create stuff that isn't trying to mimic a DSLR, uh, but that's trying to create a new way to experience photography on a phone because that's where everybody's looking at them anyway. Yeah. I mean, I, I do think that's where like live photos comes in, it, but just to play the, I don't know, cranky old person, it's my role in this world. Hmm. There's something still evocative about like a great still photo. And that's still the thing, you know, that all of the photo sharing apps and services are still built around. And like, you know, I, Instagram, you know, there used to be like the hard sort of line where you don't put your DSLR photos on Instagram. That line is gone. Right. Right. Well, and, and the Instagram filters kind of wear out their welcome. And I, I'm assuming most of these tricks will kind of wear out their welcome. I feel like HDR was in vogue for a bit and it's less cool now. Well, HDR, it's the way Apple does it, you know, you like light it up and turn it on. And it's HDR. Right. The way Google does it, just always kind of working to make everything better. It's faded into the background, right. and I think that's that's really cool because they're 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 doing yet another trick to fake the dynamic range of a better camera. Like I don't know if you could call Google's HDR like high dynamic range. It's more like dynamic range. <laughs> <laughs> they they've just added right. some to it. They're not they're not pushing it to that crazy HDR place. Anyway, that was our conversation about the Note Eight, which is a phone <laughs> that you can buy. <laughs> Last thing, Dieter, I want to ask you. The Note 8's really, really expensive. Yeah. Is it going to be more or less expensive than this presumably very expensive iPhone Pro.x edition? Uh, I think Brian Chen's New York Times uh, threw out there that the new iPhone is going to start at $999, and I believe it. Yeah. So less expensive. That's something. This The phone price war is, I think we're going to have to spend a lot of time talking about it once we have all these numbers in hand. But it's exp- now, I was on uh, Lauren's excellent podcast, Too Embarrassed to Ask, talking about the note uh, with her and Kara. 
And I, I made the point that I think I've made to y'all before uh, that we don't know what the diff what a pro phone means yet. We know what a pro laptop means. We know why you spend extra money to get a Mac MacBook Pro instead of just a MacBook. Uh, but I don't think anybody really knows other than it's nicer and it has a slightly better camera what it means to get a pro phone that actually enables you to do, you know, quote unquote pro things that you can't do on a cheaper phone. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've pretty much determined I'll have to see next week. Maybe I'll just be so blown away. I can't help myself. But I don't think I'm a pro phone person. Yeah. I don't, the phone for me is listening to podcasts and watching YouTube videos. And it's, it doesn't need to be the most expensive gadget <laughs> in, in my bag. Yeah. I mean, I, this is comes down to the content consumption creation divide, yeah. right? Which is you kind of use your phone. I mean, I guess we're just talking about photos. But you, you use your phone to consume so many things and to create very little. And it seems like your energy, that pro money goes towards, this is the thing I use to make things, and it should be the best and most flexible tool. But, I mean, we spent how many episodes of the show talking about tablets and iPads and laptops versus tablets and their merging? And, like, it's the problem that everyone's trying to solve. And I'm excited to see Apple's riff on what a super expensive Absolutely. iPhone looks like. Sure. And I guarantee you they will sell as many of them as they can make because that's just their way. Yeah. By the way, do you think it's gonna be? The, do you think it's gonna be called the Pro, the X, the Edition? Uh, I think it's gonna be called the Eight. Yeah, iPhone Eight. Okay. Well, here's what's gonna happen. This will be old news by the time you're hearing the sound of my voice, but you guys should know that uh, Equifax was hacked, and 143 million consumers uh, may have had their data leaked, and the leaked data includes names, social security numbers, birthdays, addresses, income instances, and driver's license well, numbers. Well, dang it! Wow. Everyone change so your identity. Go. My, na my yeah. name is now Steve. Yeah, Equifax is just pay for people to have like a life do-over now. <laughs> You're starting <laughs> over. You're a carpenter now. Be who you want to be. <laughs> who, who did you always want to be? Okay, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to read this ad. Then uh, this week was the last episode of Spacecraft with Lauren Grosh. I'm going to talk to her for about 15 minutes. And then we're going to come back and we're going to do all the iPhone stuff. You ready? Yeah. This episode of Vergecast brought to us, brought to us. This episode of Vergecast brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Thanks, ZipRecruiter. Are you hiring? Do you know how to post your job to find the best candidates? With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to 100 plus job sites with just one click. Then their powerful technology efficiently matches the right people to your job better than anyone else. That's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you, it finds them. In fact, 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get quality candidate through the site within one day. There's no juggling emails or calls to your office. You just screen, rate, and manage candidates all in one place with ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use dashboard. So find out today what ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. And right now, Vergecast listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Verge. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Verge. One more time, try for free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Verge. Lauren. Neelai. My favorite astronaut. Oh, that's disappointing because I'm not one. Also, I don't know any others. Yeah. So. So. But you're my favorite astronaut. It works that's great. out. great. I'm glad it worked out. Uh, so I'm a little sad because you've been on the show for the past month. Yeah, and it's been fun. It's been great. Uh, but Spacecraft Season 1 
has come to an end, but with like a huge flourish at yeah. the end. Yeah, I don't think we could have ended it any better. Yeah. Like, what other experiences do you have left? I, I guess I should go home forever. You should go to space. It's <laughs> uh, the but only it, thing to do now. But first of all, congratulations on Spacecraft thank you, Season thank 1. You. Really exciting. I think everyone loved it. I loved it. Um, and you got to experience some zero-G. I did. Um, yeah, I went on a parabolic flight, which is nicknamed the Vomit Comet. And it's something I've always wanted to do, um, especially because my mom got to do it Whoa. when she was working at NASA. And it just... It was absurd to me that she got to do this super cool <laughs> thing and I didn't get to do it. Especially because if you know my mother, she is not like a big roller coaster person. She doesn't like yeah. um, intense things. So the idea that she actually went on this was insane to me. But she told me, if you've watched the video, she had like the worst time on it. <laughs> so my goal was just to survive at least more parabolas yeah. than she did. So <laughs> when your mom did it, presumably some time ago, it was actually part of NASA. Yeah, right? they were testing out some new technologies that needed to go to space. And I believe at the time NASA owned its own parabolic plane. They don't anymore. Um, but, yeah, they got to go on it. And it looks kind of, if you look at the pictures of it, the inside of it looks kind of like like a sterilized, you know, hospital. That's <laughs> <laughs> like a padded room. Yeah, it's a padded room uh, with this huge bulky technology in it. It's it's very retro looking yeah. for sure. Um, but the flight you went on is not part of NASA. It's like a no. private company. Yeah, it's the Zero G Corporation, and they're one of just a handful of planes that do it nowadays. And they are they are pros. You know, they they're they're basically the main if not the only company in the U.S. that's offering this. I think it might be the only company in the U.S. that offers this. Uh, yeah, they do um, research, you know, flights. They do, you know, tourist flights. Most I think that's like their bread and butter is these tourist flights. And, yeah, uh, it's, you know, a once-in-a-lifetime thing. And yeah. always wanted to do it. And you guys let me do it. So I did. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, this is their business? Yeah, this is their business. That's that How was, big is this company? Uh, not very big. I would say basically the bulk of the company was on the flight with us. That was what was neat about it was I talked with um, a w wonderful woman named Chelsea when we were setting this up. And she was like my, my liaison for the majority of this time. And then she went on the flight with us. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it was her. And like basically the entirety of the company was on the flight. And they were your, they, she continued to be our liaison when I was floating off into the <laughs> ether. She grabbed my leg and pulled me back down and made sure I didn't, you know, bump and run into people. <laughs> so they're pros. I mean, they've been, they fly all the time. Like they're constantly going to different airports and doing this every couple of weeks, you know. Is it just a bunch of friends in a plane? How do you <laughs> yeah. It's like I want to know more about this company. But let's talk about space. Yes. Uh so you presumably have not experienced weightlessness before. I have not, no. Um, I've been I, in I, pools. I'm assuming most it. people haven't. Yeah. Um what was it like? It was I I really I say this on the video a lot. It's really hard to describe and I know that's cuz such a cop out, but it is. I mean, you just all of a sudden you take a turn and the floor you were looking down at is now above you and it's just and you don't experience obviously any kind of you know you, your per perspective changes but your body d doesn't feel like it's 
changing perspective at all, you know? So it really can get very disorienting very quick. But yeah, it's just, it was just an insane feeling to just, oh, I'm sitting on the top of the plane now. And then I really, like, they they want you to get down on the floor in between the parabolas so that you don't, you know, puke. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, you have to pull extra Gs between parabolas. And uh, a lot of the times they'd be like, you know, get down, get on the floor. And I'd be like, I don't know where that is. Like, I'm really not sure. <laughs> so to get get your bearings once you're in zero G, it's very it's very tough to do. Yeah. I would like to also call out our heroic director, Miriam yes. Nielsen, who was had to shoot. You were just like goofing. Yes. You're just like flying around and, and she, she had to had run to, a camera. Yeah. Fortunately for her, I mean, they have a dedicated photographer on their flight too. So there's extra video and photos that they that he took as well. And he was giving her pointers <laughs> beforehand. And they also have like handrails and stuff that you can hold on to in case you want to stabilize yourself. So I think she utilized those a lot. But yeah, the best part was they like I was saying, they tell you to get down on the floor for the the extra G's. But she was like standing up, kneeling, you know, she was getting footage of me being good while she was standing during the extra G portion. I was like, Jesus Christ, that is impressive. Yeah. Heroism. Yes. So you got to do first it was Martian, then Mars. Yes. Yeah. First they start you off easy. So I'm sorry, lunar then Mars, right? Or the other way around. Uh Mars first because it's one third, and then two lunar parabolas, which are one sixth gravity, and then the rest are um zero g and yeah those were they they got you kind of like acclimated it just felt very you felt like you were on a cloud for a little bit and then when you get to the zero g you're just like what am i doing (laughs) i think the best part was when i lost control there's a shot in the video where i'm just like bounce off the floor and then i like tumble to the back of the plane and there's nothing i can do about it because i can grab onto somebody or i could you know <laughs> grab onto the wall but i was too far away from the wall to do anything so it was pretty funny to just watch me kind of fly away uh, i personally enjoyed the fact that you got super competitive with just yourself <laughs> in insisting that you wanted to do a flip yeah and then the first time I tried to do it, <laughs> so I didn't even, like, yeah. well, I didn't even push off anything, so I didn't really do much. And then I think at the end they show me trying to like eat those candies, and I was really bad at it. And the they so they have another number of tricks. Wait, that, explain eat the candies. Oh, oh, so like one thing you can do is throw up candy and then try to like catch it in your mouth by yourself. <laughs> but I was not good at that, and yeah. I was actually pretty bad at all of the tricks that they tried to get us to do. Like there was. They do one where they want to do like a Superman shot where they have everybody line up in the back of the plane. And then as soon as the parabola or as soon as you start to get, you know, weightless, then you all push off and you're like with your arms outstretched and you look like Superman. Everybody did it. And I just stayed on the floor. (laughs) Like I just did not do it well. It looked really bad. Um, Yeah. now that you've had this experience, by the way, did anybody vomit on the final oh, comment? Oh, so many people did, and I don't. How was that managed? That was the grossest part. So, um, well, they handle it very well. Obviously, okay. they're pros at this. This happens all the time. But the best <laughs> was like. That's how you get a nickname. Sorry, I'm, I hope they don't hate me for talking about this, but the best is that uh, the. I mean, obviously, the vomit goes everywhere. So. <laughs> Um, That's terrible. So I, when we got back to like a, we leveled off a couple of times, a little extra time. Normally you do a couple of levels in between the parables just to get everybody, um, you know, 
give them a break. But we leveled off a, a, a little bit more than we were supposed to just to help these oh, these yeah. sick people. Um, but yeah, when we leveled off one time, I just saw, you know, one of the employees wiping off the wall and then wiping off the ceiling and then wiping <laughs> off the floor. Like there, <laughs> the vomit made everywhere. <laughs> Like and then they would run to the back of the plane and get some splooshes down there. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah. Was the vomit ever weightless with you? Oh yeah. The best was when one time we leveled off and I just watched it come from the ceiling down to the floor. Uh, <laughs> it was okay. I didn't. A vomit. once in the lifetime experience. I felt so bad because it was this, uh, you know, these this one family. And, you know, if you think about it, that's your one experience to yeah. do it. Unless, I don't know if they give you, like, a discount to come back. <laughs> like, sorry, you uh, you bombed on this trip. Oh, no. You have, a, have a half-off ticket for your next ride. You, you have to earn a nickname like the Vomit Comet. Yeah, basically exactly. basically my feeling. I was thinking about, I'm like, I love roller coasters and rides. But, you know, the ride where they spin you around? Yes. And, like, you get pinned to the wall? Yeah. That one always wrecks me. Yeah. Well, that's essentially like a centrifuge. Right. right. I mean, it basically is. So that kind of, that's the feeling that, well, I mean, that probably wasn't as intense as what we were feeling. But we feel about 1.8 Gs. Maybe it is. I don't know. But yeah, you feel about close to 2 Gs when you're, so you're doing these parabolas, right? We yeah. explained in the video. And yeah, it basically feels like this mattress where someone's like pressing down on your body. And that part actually was kind of fun for me. I liked it. But yeah, I think the, the, Going back and forth between that and the weightlessness definitely took its toll by the end of the flight. Like did towards come, the end, did I was, you come close? I didn't come close, but I remember just sitting. I was standing there, and I was like, "Okay, I can handle about two more of these, and I think I'm. I might need to like sit down for one of them." And then they're like, "All right, we're done." I was like, "Yeah, I'm okay with that." Wow. <laughs> like I wasn't upset. All right, so let's talk about. So the experience sounds amazing. Yeah. Uh, how much does it cost? Can, like regular people do it? Uh, yeah, it's usually about five grand. Wow. Yeah, and then you can pay extra if you want to fly with celebrities and stuff. There was a, there was a flight going up for, to fly with William Shatner in Vegas. Seemed like a good time. <laughs> All of this, is, <laughs> we should just profile this company anyway. Yeah. So that is amazing. So you had like an amazing experience. Mm -hmm. But talk about the science of this. Like, what is there? Is there something you can learn from it? Is there something NASA learned from it when they were doing it? Where they just testing equipment and now what they have. The ISS, so they can just put the equipment there. Like, what what is the sort of the science of understanding weightlessness? Yeah, so I think when it comes to astronauts, it's not necessary. I think in order to do it, you know, a fun fact was Scott Kelly was on our flight, who did one year in space. Yeah, and so he was constant. We were he was a good source to compare what it really <laughs> felt like, and he was actually saying that the the flight is worse because you are going back and forth for these two states of gravity. And whereas in space, you're just you go from extra G's during launch and then you're in space. You know, it's it's not a constant transition. Um, so I think it's good for astronauts, maybe if they want to understand what it feels like just temporarily, just get a taste. So they'll understand, you know, you can't really maneuver in the same ways as you can on Earth to fix things. However, I think a real good opportunity for this is testing out these new technologies. So I did a, a story a couple of months ago about this new type of robot uh, that they're developing to get rid of space trash. And the way it works is it uses, it's inspired by gecko feet, how they stick to walls. It uses the same kind of principles to stick to hardware. So you stick to the hardware and then you can drag it 
wherever you want, and then you can potentially clean up space debris in orbit. But the only way to test it out before going to space is to see if it would actually work in a zero-gravity environment. So they put it on one of these parabolic flights. Sure enough, it worked just fine in zero-G. Wow. So it's it's really just a way to quickly test out things that just to see if they would operate in zero G like the way that you want them to before actually sending them to space. Yeah. Which is a, a way five grand seems like a lot for you and me, but it's way less expensive <laughs> than launching a rocket. So last week you were on the show. Yes. We talked a lot about how hard astronauts have to work out when they're weightless mm-hmm. in order to just preserve their bodies, basically. Now you've experienced weightlessness. Mm-hmm. Do you have any like more reflection on the other experience of just how hard it is to be in that environment for more for a long period of time yeah well i mean even though you do get nauseous i got nauseous on that flight there's still nausea involved with going to space it's not the same type but it's a it's space adaptation syndrome where you're basically your body is like what the hell is going on right now I don't know what the ceiling is. I don't know what the floor is. So your sense of balance is all turned off. And so then you have like a sickness for the first couple of days that you come to space. So on top of that, so you got all these physical challenges you got to do. You got all these, you know, you basically have to retrain your brain to operate and work in the space environment. And then you got nausea. You got all these other things that you have to deal with. And I've also heard that, you know, you, you deal with fluid shift when you're in space, too. So your body's fluids move around. They sit in your face and sometimes can make you feel like you have, like, uh, a sinus infection going on. Um, you're not sick, though, but it just kind of feels like you're puffy. Um, so there's all these different things. Like, it's just it's just an an insane new work scenario (laughs) i'm just like i don't know if i said this in the last podcast but so many people you know they talk about being advocates for regular people going to space i'm all about that i'm not saying that regular people shouldn't go to space but if you're going to live in the space environment and you want to you know work in orbit or whatever it takes a lot it takes a lot of training a lot of effort and i think it does a disservice to the astronauts and all the engineers that work on this to say that just anybody can go to space no problem as if you don't have to do all this planning beforehand because there is so much that you don't even think about that's going to be thrust upon you in this new type of environment it's almost like an environment that can kill you at any minute it's almost like it and then you think about it too i mean a lot of the reason that astronauts are so healthy is because Think of what could happen if you have an, a medical emergency. We haven't had a medical emergency in this space, but uh, I was talking to someone who who studies like this, the body in space, and she was saying, you know, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. The more people we put in space, the higher likelihood that somebody's going to have a medical episode. When that happens, we have some techniques like using ultrasound and stuff to help them out, but if you have to evacuate to Earth, that's not a quick process, you know? So you don't want somebody that's going to have, you know, a medical episode unless you have a floating hospital up there. Yeah. And even then, it's hard to get all the things that you need up there yeah. in order to, act, you know, adequately treat somebody. So moral of my story. I'm not saying that. <laughs> it's got dark, Lauren. No, I just want to say that I, I have the most profound respect and appreciation for what it takes to go to space as an astronaut and what it takes for 
people to send them to space and the effort that entails as well. So I I want everyone to go to space, but you're going to have to work for it. Yeah. Yeah. So you've done these four episodes. You've you've had a, a taste of weightlessness. You've done a bunch of astronaut training. You've worn the spacesuit. What's like the bigger takeaway besides like it's difficult, right? Is there is there something that you didn't understand when you went into it that you understand better now? I just I I love the fact that it seems there it, it is such a multifaceted job. You know, we, we talked to a couple astronauts when we we're down at the neutral buoyancy lab, and I was like, you know, what is this like a typical nine to fiver? And he's like, no, it is different every single day because think about it, there are so many different aspects that they have to work on every single day. One day it's spacewalk training. One day they got to work out. You know, one day they have to train for this lab experiment that they're doing. Like every day is different, and that just seems that was really cool because. That it seems like the job just never gets old, and then at the end of it, your reward is going to space. You know, so <laughs> like that's a that's a pretty amazing job to have. Yeah. So spacecraft season two. Yeah. We'll do. I'll say I greenlit next <laughs> I level guess. season two. So you should have seen Eli's like mm, we'll I'll do, do it. it. I don't we know. should do it. <laughs> I mean, Lauren Good when we were doing the next level podcast, she was like, "Are we going to do it?" And I was like, "Sure." So it's okay. great. That one's greenlit. We'll do it. This one's greenlit too. What what's what are the next challenges if we if we do another season? Like what are the things you want to line up and do? Well, I have an idea. Okay. Um, so we talked about what it takes to get to space. What if we talked about what it takes to colonize another space? So now you have to go to space. Now I have to, now I have to live. <laughs> I see I see the game you're playing. Now I have to live on Mars. You have yeah. to send me to Mars. Actually, I'd rather go to the moon first. If you know, if anyone knows me, you'll know that. But uh, <laughs> wow. yeah. If you're really my friend. If you're really my friend, you'll understand that I'm, I'm a, a moon stand first. Yeah, but I also want to hear input from people because yeah. that's that's my idea. But I feel like a lot of people have ideas of what we can illustrate, and I'd be happy to take on those challenges. Or where, where can they get a hold of you? They can get a hold of me on my Twitter account at Lauren Grush, L O R E N G R U S H. Awesome. Well, it's been really fun having you on this show this month. Yeah. Spacecraft was super fun. It was fun. Um, this is not a good metric. It's not a meaningful metric, but it, I think it's a fun one. Every one of your episodes, I go on YouTube and you get like 4,000 likes and there'd be like 90 people who are like, I, I don't like space. <laughs> but like having a bunch of YouTubers be really enthusiastic about something yeah, I thought was great. I I feel I feel very empowered that the the feedback was super positive. So, and I appreciate that. And it is, like I said, it's funny to see what people latch on to. Like in each episode, there's always something that people are like, wait, what? The sweat goes everywhere. <laughs> there was a comment on the on the, the Vomit Comet episode where someone was like, this is how they green screen it. <laughs> and I was like, like oh. that is a, you are way beyond conspiracy now. Now you are just, you're just insane. That was actually a cool part of doing the the flight was <laughs> when we were done, they gave us a bunch of chips and then we talked about like when they use the plane for videos and stuff, you know, like they're pros when it comes to production. So they have a bunch of celebrities fly. Uh, they do a lot of shoots there. So it was interesting to hear their experience. Like they obviously they're since they're like, if not the only company in the U S that does this, you know, they, everybody goes to them when they want to yeah. s- simulate Zero G. So, so you're saying that is how they green screen it. <laughs> Moon landing fake confirmed. No, I <laughs> I'm saying that they have used green screens in the plane. Oh no. 
<laughs> we're oh down God, a dark I'm rabbit hole. No, reason. no, I I just like the the fact the audience was so into it, the fact that the show came out so great, and that you are obviously so passionate about space. I think yeah. it all came together really well. So. Well, I'm happy to do it again, and I will gladly be put put myself into crazy hijinks <laughs> yet again for season two. We're definitely sending you to Mars. <laughs> you know, the working title of the show was Lauren Goes to Space. And yes. We had to scrap it because we was a promise we just couldn't keep. <laughs> <laughs> Lauren actually never goes to space. But we're going to get there. Do you remember we were out with Walt and he was, we were talking? He was like, how much does it send, to cost to send you the International Space Station? <laughs> I was like, Walt, it's like millions of dollars. He's like, let me look into this. <laughs> it's Walt. Walt's a dreamer. <laughs> That Mossberg. <laughs> Only the highest of ambitions for us. Anyway, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having Spacecraft me. Spacecraft season two, sometime in the future. We'll do it. It's going to happen. It's going to be great. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Lauren. Thank you. That Lauren Grush, I got to say, Spacecraft, super fun. If you haven't watched it, go watch all four episodes now. And the one with her tumbling through zero G, very jealous of her career choices. We're like out here talking about phones. She's like flying through space. She, she bet on the right horse. The Wait. space horse. <laughs> Good old space horse. We should get a horse. <laughs> we should get a horse. <laughs> All right. Let's get into it. Next week, iPhone event. Presume, I mean, like, the Apple's having an event. It's September. Yeah. One only assumes a new iPhone will be there. You'll never know, though. <laughs> I think there's going to be three. Yeah, I, 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 I'm feeling good about that. I think Three, gonna... three being a 7S... 7S Plus and the 8 Pro X. In special. Special. iPhone special. Yeah, I think that, that feels right. It kind of tracks with all the rumors. I, the real question is going to be... There's, there's no new SE? Right, so that is not, I think, the real question, but it is yet another question <laughs> that one could that. ask. <laughs> uh, no, I think the real question is, you know, they usually keep around the old one, so the 7 will get cheaper, Yeah, and then you'll get these S models we think, right. and then there's the 8 or the Pro or whatever. Besides just, like, gluing a wireless charging pad in the back of the 7 and maybe giving a processor bump, like, what's going to – what's why would you buy the that? cameras one? are going to be turned sideways. Yeah. <laughs> sideways cameras. Upside down. Now it's skinny. Now it's fat. It's an iPod. Are they – Are is that the rumor that they're going to put a, a, a wireless charger on the 7S? That is a rumor. It is a – I don't because know if they'd it's have the they'd have to change the, the body as well. To do that. Who knows? They saved all that room from the headphone jack. No, it's the, <laughs> I mean, that's the whole reason why the, the 8 is supposed to have like a glass back. Is so I've seen, charging. I've seen, there are leaks of the, of the 7 with a glass back. Yeah. So there's like rumors. But beyond that, functionality wise, it, I, I think the, the, the story of the 8 Pro X, I really wish we knew its name because it's very complicated. Let's call it the 8. Do you just want to call it the 8? We're going to call it the 8. I think it's I think it's the eight. I really do. I like they're not gonna call it the anniversary edition. Calling it the X is like I don't know. I I, I never wanna uh assume that Apple won't make a, a, a dad joke, you know, or like something that feels kinda kinda corny. Um but I just it feels too corny to call it the iPhone X, you know? It just feels too Lame. Now I'm a hundred percent that they're gonna call it the X. <laughs> they can't. <laughs> if there's a corny dad joke to make, Apple will make Here's it. Here's something they could add to the seven S. Yeah. Every time you unlock it with touch ID. Yeah. Like back in the olden days, <laughs> you get a little push notification that reminds you like how little money you have in your bank account. <laughs> <laughs> 
Because you didn't buy the expensive because one? Because you're, yeah, you're too poor for the good one. <laughs> the good one. It's like it saves five cents a day for you. That's it's like right. you can get there. You'll get it next time. They're going to buy one of those, like, Clarity or whatever that, like, auto saves money for you. you yeah, I, I think I'm very curious how they're going to tell this story. Mm. Right, because so much of it has been leaked. They obviously have flashy new hardware to show off. We, yeah. again, presume. And then they've got these, like, middle children Right, so it's yeah. not it's well, not the iPhone Seven now. On at a top great of all of that, the middle children are going to be the only ones you can yeah. buy right away because the current rumors are that the the flashy one won't be available for a month or two, and it's going to be an extremely limited supply, and so it's going to be hard to buy one even when it does become quote unquote available. So you're there's going to be a whole thing where like you can get the cheap one that's basically the same as the new one, except that it doesn't have wireless charging and you know the slightly faster processor. Uh, or you can wait for the new one, and who knows when you're going to be able to buy it. Or, you know, we got these. <laughs> they're, they're fine. I, got these. I feel like the normal Apple way of doing this would just, just focus on the 8 the whole time, and then when they get to the price chart, like, oh, and there's a 7S, and we bumped the processor, and it's got a better camera and stuff. Yeah. It's, it's fine. But if you're on uh, But they 18, can't do that. If you're time. on AT&T Next, right, which is the terrible scam phone upgrade system that I'm on. The 7S is the one that you just, you're almost certainly just going to get, mm-hmm. right? They're not going to give you the more expensive one. You know? So, like, many more people are just going to get these S models. And the story of why this is the, another phone worth having beyond you have, like a sucker, paid installments to AT&T for the past two months, 24 months, they need a better story than that. So, like, it's got a faster processor. We changed the design and added wireless chart. I, I'm very curious I, they're Apple. They are masters at delivering these messages. Mm-hmm. I am sure they will have a a good, clean, somewhat persuasive message for the S to exist. Mm-hmm. I'm just super curious what it is because off the, I am not a master marketer. Right. And off the top of my head, I couldn't tell you what it is. But then there's all this other stuff that's floating around. Did you see the OLED news today? So the Wall Street Journal is like, Apple desperately needs to find a supplier of OLED screens for these phones because oh, they're yeah, dependent yeah. on Samsung. And they invested a bunch of money into LG's OLED production. But then there was an Ars Technica piece comparing the V30 to, like, the Samsung OLED. And the V30 screen is terrible. Yeah. How did Samsung— Well, that's because—well, see, uh, Google also invested a bunch of money in LG. Uh, Maybe the V30 screen is terrible because they're saving all the good screens for uh, Apple and for the Pixel. Maybe. You know, what I really don't understand—I would love for somebody to explain this to me. LG makes the best TVs— they're right. OLED TVs. I have one. It's great. Walt has one. He loves it. Great TVs. Like, easily the best TVs you can buy are LG OLED TVs. Same panels in Sony's TVs. Sony's TVs, hilariously more expensive, but whatever. OLED panels, great. LG, the clear, obvious winner. Samsung TVs are all LCDs, right. also the top of the market. But when you get to phones, it's the other way around. LG made all the best LCD displays for phones, including the one in the iPhone forever. Samsung bet on OLED and makes all the best OLED screens. And I just want, is it like two brothers and they fought? And they like went their different ways. <laughs> like, I don't. Like John OLED and Jim OLED. Yeah. Like, how, like, how are you really good at the big ones and not the little ones? And I'm how sure are you really good very, at the little I mean, ones the, and not the big ones? The pixel density, there's, there's got to be a way different process. But one of the original promises with OLED was that it was going to be easier to manufacture. Yeah, but if you are Samsung it, it and you are not really seem good to be that easy. at making like 4K OLED displays at five inches, yeah. why can't you just 
relax the pixel density and make uh, a good OLED TV. Just get like a stretching machine. <laughs> just like chill out for a minute <laughs> and try to make a good TV. I don't I, know. I, it's just like a mystery, but it's amazing that we've arrived at this place where there's two primary display manufacturers with completely mirror image skill sets. And Apple is now having to be deeply in bed with Samsung again after it was already deeply in bed with Samsung on processor manufacturing. Like, I don't think that's where Apple wants to be at all. No. And then on top of it, they're, you know, they have to price the phone higher so they can constrain supply against all this stuff. This is one of those stories. I think we talked about uh, Apple and Qualcomm. And if, like, that lawsuit goes sideways, like, the whole industry changes. This Apple-Samsung relationship around displays, they, can't, they Apple can't screw up its display partnerships. Like, you can screw up your patent processor, processor patent partnerships. Great. Like, maybe that's nuclear for the entire industry. They'll make a, no, no, they can make a screenless iPhone. It's just a big Siri button. <laughs> but if the iPhone doesn't have the best display in the industry, like, Apple ceded a lot of ground. Like, yeah. fundamentally to me, the, the, the iPhone retina display is still the cleanest screen in the industry. It has the best color reproduction. Uh, I still think OLED screens are like way oversaturated. I know everybody disagrees with me. But if they if they make this move and then they're not as good as Samsung because Samsung is withholding its best parts for itself, that's like a big moment for Apple. Like I think that's something for them to overcome and like probably have to explain a little bit as they get into well, we didn't sell as much of the expense. Like, you know, they're gonna have an investor call in three months where they're gonna have to talk right. about component supply, because that's what they always talk about on those calls, and having literally the primary element of the phone in the hands of their best competitor, I think is just really fascinating to me. And I think this is why the essential phone I still mean, has an LCD. Apple just needs to make, they need, they need to pull a Samsung, and they need to start making displays, uh, they need to start making boats, <laughs> they need to start making washing machines. Yeah. It's, and you build know, them the all way. in the United States. Yeah, they got the deal to put the Foxconn plant in Wisconsin, only at sharp LCD TVs. Yeah, yeah, they were so close. <laughs> so just, just a million miles away from what they needed. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I just think it's it's ultimately fascinating that you know Apple's thing is we we need to own or control our primary technologies. It's like a Steve Jobs line that they use a lot. And now they're they're in this position where the primary technology of their phone is they're in a fight to get more of it, and their other supplier that they could you, they could use to leverage against Samsung is not it doesn't appear to be ready for the task. So as far as I could as far as I could tell, almost all the OLED patents are owned by UDC Universal Display Corporation, and it licenses them to Samsung and LG. So there's like no, I don't know what the big barrier to entry to jumping into this, other than it seems to be hard to make good OLEDs. But, but LG's cranking out 65 inch OLEDs on the daily, right? To make those smaller. So just because somebody does it well doesn't mean it's easy to do it well. Is what I'm saying. Hmm. You know. Yeah, it just I don't. It's just so confusing to me. <laughs> like they are well known for making. A product that no one else was actually able to make, right? LG got to OLED first in TVs. They made them great. Sony gave up on OLED. They came back to OLED. They bought the panels from LG. I get it's probably a much lower volume product, but it's just the fact that they can't take all of that expertise yeah. 
and move it to the, the higher volume product suggests that there's something much harder than we're really talking about and that Samsung has just never even tried. Who knows? We can talk about OLEDs all night. Sorry, we definitely can. <laughs> uh, other stuff going on with the phone. Um, I think we're probably going to hear a lot about Siri at this event. It's like obviously an area of huge focus for Apple. Our friend David Pierce, notable Verge trader, uh, just had an article in Wired about the work they've done to make Siri sound more human mm. in Wired. Just go read it. It's good. Um, so there's obviously like they're they're priming the pump with Siri news. Like the voice is better. They just they have a machine learning blog now. Do you see this piece? No. Apple has a machine learning blog because they couldn't hire people because they wouldn't let them publish. So they started a blog for them. Of it's a true story. Of course. Uh, so the re- they hired a bunch of researchers. The first white paper they published was like how they're using machine learning to make the voice sound better, and they're using like this cool hybrid approach, and it sounds way better. So I'm expecting we'll see some of that. Hmm. Um, I'm expecting they're going to take a bunch of shots at Alexa and Google Assistant around how complicated they are versus you know Siri, if you live a completely Apple life, can just do all the things. I think we'll probably see some HomePod. Well, I can do all the Apple things. Right, that's what I mean. If you live a completely Apple ecosystem life, Siri yeah. is like, yes, buy Siri, buy the most expensive phone. It's like it's going to do it for you. Um, I think we'll probably see here about the HomePod. I don't think it's ready yet. But I think that combination of Siri just being in all the products seems really interesting to me. Um, and then there's a lot of noise around LTE Apple Watch, which – yeah, that'll happen. Yeah? You think you're going to change the and shape? And it'll be fine. Uh, the only evidence we have that they're going to change the shape is um, John Gruber made an aside that a uh, little birdie that was completely unconfirmed suggested that there was going to be a new form factor. LTE is a, you know, it's a radio. It's big. Presumably this will have an embedded SIM of some kind, so there won't need to be space for a micro SIM on it. Though I'm sure they will have wanted to have figured that out. They should make it, I don't know, maybe a little bit bigger in order to accommodate it. But maybe the, the, they only want LTE to be like, you know, a, a sometimes thing, like like cookies for Cookie Monster. And and so they, they'll just leave it the same and trust people to figure out that the battery life will get wrecked if uh, you leave it on all the time. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. But the thing I'm more curious about is, like, how many people are actually clamoring for an LTE uh, Apple Watch? How many people are really like, yeah, no, I've, I see the potential on this thing on my wrist that I can leave my phone at home and never, never have to take it out. Uh, like it's only there for like going to run. Yeah. That's the only reason I think you'd want LTE on it. Well, that's why, I mean, they're leaning into fitness with the thing. Yeah. So the combination of battery life and fitness use cases are in conflict with each other. Yeah. To me, the real genuine question with an LTE-enabled Apple Watch is how much do you pay to have it get access to the network? Uh, Because every single carrier has got a little add-on plan for little extra devices like it, and they all cost, I don't know, 10 bucks a month, maybe 15. I have a hard time believing that I would want to pay. Sometimes it's more. It used to be more. Um, the only carrier that doesn't charge for extra SIM cards is, I think, Project Fi. <laughs> Who knows how long Google's going to keep that thing running. Um, but, you know, uh, every carrier has to make sure that, like, it uses your same phone number. And all of that stuff, how much extra it costs, making sure it uses the same phone number as your actual phone, you know, blah, 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 um, means getting in tighter with carriers and their mm-hmm. 
relatively crappy policies and services in a way that Apple has traditionally not had mm-hmm. to. And I'm very curious to see if they've managed to, I don't know, wring any concessions out of any carriers. You know, is this, are, is it going to be carrier specific? They didn't want to put all the radios in it. So it's uh, there's an AT&T version and a Verizon version and a, you know, T-Mobile version. Or, you know, are, is it going to be a universal, you know, giant radio, in which case, or, you know, set of radios, in which case maybe they do need to make it a little bit bigger. Lots of questions. Well, if they do LTE. If it's just LTE right. straight and they don't try and put a 3G radio in it, that might change it a little right. bit. We'll see. I don't know. I'm, again, I, I think they did a really good job last time when they, like, rebooted the entire watch interface of being like, here's what it does now. We're focused. It's a real product. Mm. Just adding LTE onto it. They need to kind of explain the value of that in another way. I think the reason I'm so excited about this event is Apple has so much explaining to do, and they're, like, good at it. You know what I mean? Like, they have a lot of, here's the value of this. And, like, I, I, I suspect they're more confident about what the value is in, than I've seen them. Like, when they, the, fir- I, the, the event that I keep thinking of is the first Apple Watch event when it was, like, chaos. Right, like Bono was there, and they're like, I don't know, like now we're running in Africa because that's what the Apple Watch is for, and it was just like all over the place. And Apple lately has just been very focused about here's the val- here's why you spend the money on a product. So I think I'm excited. I'm just excited to like hear all those pitches, and then you know, obviously we'll do what we do and see if they live up to the the claims. But I, I think that's just an exciting moment. And then lastly, the poor sweet Apple TV. So when you're the biggest company on the planet. And you're getting wrecked by an Amazon stick and Roku. Yeah, maybe you're not doing it right. Uh, yeah, I mean Roku just. Fought, we sh- this is the whole next segment, so I'm not going to jump it too much. But if the Apple TV, if the main thing it does is light up two more lights on my receiver when I plug it in. Okay, you were talking about this. Please explain your. I receiver. will be very happy. What 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 did the lights mean on your receiver? So 4K HDR. That's been leaked in the firmware. It's a yep. given. There is not yet a device. We, we've talked about okay, this. Let's say you plug in a 1080p Apple TV into your receiver. Or yeah. let's say a 720p Apple TV. Do you get one light and then there's two lights for 1080p no lights. and then three lights for 4K? And then fu- <laughs> There's like the TV will be like Dolby Vision and it gets real bright. Okay. That's a light. Okay. Conceptually, it's a light. My receiver is like 4K pass-through. Oh, the, are these not literal lights? No. On my receiver, when it detects a 4K signal, it like gives you a little light. There it is. It's like, you did it. And then the TV like puts up the banner that says Dolby Vision because uh, it's switched picture okay. mode. So it's all one, very exciting. One light from each spot. Yeah. Adds up. Super. No, no, no that's two just, lights. That's one conceptual light. Oh, okay. Two physical lights, one conceptual light. Okay. You with me on that? Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, but let's keep going. <laughs> one feature, uh-huh. two lights. Yeah. One conceptual light. <laughs> Every time I say that, Paul just melts into disaster. <laughs> All right, so that's one light. Okay. Just run with me on that, yeah, dude. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. All right. The other light is the Atmos light, which is the surround sound light. All right. So, like, when Dolby Digital hits my my receiver, it lights up Dolby Digital. Great. And you can light up Dolby Digital Plus. You can light up DTS Neuro X, like all kinds of lights. That's oh, yeah. that's a that's like a cornucopia of lights. Yeah. The so, one light that you the two lights you cannot get together 
or Dolby Vision and Dolby Atmos, which is very funny because they're both made by Dolby. But virtually, I think literally the only way to do it now is to go out and buy a new LG TV. So I've been in, I don't want to do that. So I have an LG, it's great. I don't just bolt it to the wall. Yeah, it's too small though. Well, you can't get a bigger one. So (laughs) I'm just waiting. LG has some OLED business to finish here. They need to make the small ones good. They need to make the bigger ones bigger. Get on it, LG, and build it in the U.S. of A. Anyway. My big takeaway here is buy an LG TV. <laughs> They're great. Anyway. Two oh, lights. Two lights. They're so really conceptual all lights. So Apple does is sell a new Apple TV that when I plug it into my receiver, it's exactly the same, mm-hmm. but it has 4K HDR, Dolby, like Dolby Vision or HDR10, whatever. Right. And it supports Atmos. Right. That means and some some quantity of content yeah, is purchasable. That's out there, but all it's really doing is like lighting up two more lights mm-hmm. because it supports two more higher quality standards. I don't think that's anywhere near enough to compete with the fact that Roku is kicking their ass in the twenty nine dollar market because yeah. there's not actually a lot of people who give a shit about the lights like I do. Right. I really care about the lights. The literal and figurative lights. (laughs) The literal and emotional lights of watching television in my home are very complicated. Yeah, but if that's it, like, I don't think they can reboot the interface in a serious way because they've had app developers making apps, like, buying into the tvOS. So you can't just throw out all that work. Now you're committed to having a swipey remote and buttons and voice. You've got apps built around it, so you can't throw out, like, the input system. You can maybe replace the home screen with that TV app they put out, but Netflix and other things don't plug into it. Like, I think they're really limited in what they can do in that space. And I don't think people actually want little iOS computers plugged into their, their TV. I think they just want a $40 Roku stick. It's tough. Real tough. It's still a hobby. Not it's a still hobby. a hobby. <laughs> it's still a hobby. <laughs> But, like, if Apple is the product for high-end AV nerds, it's not never what Apple has been. I, I, I see no reason for them to do this right now. It seems like the one twist that they could do is this is their game console moment. That's but so the, hard. Yeah. It's such a hard. There would be so many things to be doing right now. So many. And also, they have two really great competitors. Like, you'd have to walk in and get all of Sony's exclusives. Well, there's three. There's Nintendo still around, too. Yeah, it's true. Good old Nintendo. But I meant for the don't don't say anything bad about Nintendo. Mario plus Rabbids is awesome. It's so hard to believe. <laughs> well, you're you're just I just wrong, have man. no patience for those tactics games. Yeah, I just don't think is this uh, this one's this one's a blast. Yeah, I you're right. They have they have three great competitors. I just meant the 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 PS4 and the Xbox. If they turn the Apple TV into a game console, mm. those are the most direct competitors because Switch is also like take it with you. Right. And they have a phone for that. I know. Poor sweet Apple TV. Yeah. I'm so excited about that part of their presentation when they're like, it still costs $200. <laughs> and then like Eddie Q points at me and he's like, you got your lights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You should just, just send them a photo of your receiver and then like Photoshop it with the lights on that you would wish to be on. Can I tell you a story? So they could just like present that to you. So when the last Apple TV came out and I was doing the review... They were like, we don't have power button on here, and we don't do IR because everything's going to run over HDMI CEC. I took it home, plugged it in my stuff. So like, this is all a little bit broken. CEC's, I've you know got this like Panasonic TV, 
pioneer receiver. There's all kinds of stuff in the chain. I'm like, it's not working quite right. And they're like, what receiver do you have? And I took a picture of it, and they they literally screenshotted. They found the manual. They screenshotted the PDF in the manual and told me what settings to fix to make it easier. <laughs> it was very nice of them, but I was like, this is why this is why TV is a huge mess. Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna read this ad. Then we should actually. There's a surprising amount of TV news to talk about here. This episode of Vergecast also brought to you by Parachute. The company makes super comfy sheets that feel good against your skin and that you can feel good about buying. Parachute products are all natural and made in a family-owned factory in Europe where workers take hour-and-a-half lunch breaks and live comfortably. Plus, Parachute gives back. They donate all their returns to Habitat for Humanity. Parachute partners with the United Nations Foundation to donate life-saving malaria bed nets to those in need. And they've donated over 20,000 of those nets so far, giving tens of thousands of people safe sleep. Visit parachutehome.com slash verge for free shipping and returns on Parachute's soft, natural sheets. Plus, Parachute offers a 60-night trial, so if you don't love it, just send it back with no questions asked. That's parachutehome.com slash verge for free shipping and returns. Hour and a half lunch breaks. I don't get that. Well, you could. We should start a sheet factory. <laughs> All right. Paul. Mm-hmm. Every week, my friend, you do a segment at this time with one consistent name. Yeah, but I forgot. <laughs> Is that what it's called this week? Oh, I remember what I just forgot. I didn't come up with a name for it. It's called Untitled. (laughs) I'm letting this one slide. (laughs) It's the Harry Potter clock. Somebody made the Harry Potter clock, which I think is like, it it happens like every six months. Yeah. Somebody makes the Harry Potter clock, but somebody did it again. And I'm really happy. It's like, there's a clock that tracks locations like of different family. Okay. So in, in Harry Potter, the Weasleys have a clock and the different hands on the clock say where the different members of the family are right now, like at work or like in mortal peril or something like that. Like near the end, spoilers, but all the hands are near mortal mortal peril for all the Weasleys. Oh, no. It's very scary. (laughs) This clock is a real situation, Paul. Somebody made it. It sucks. When I'm trying to stall, I can't Google very well. See, Paul, what I was expecting you just to do is like uh, this, the, the, episode, the, the segment is called, called Pod Pod or maybe Bud Buddy about this insane phone case that the inventor of the pebble is making. That's pretty good. Did you say That's pretty, that? pretty good. Wait, it's a, it's a, Before we do that, I just yeah. want everyone to, to take note of the fact that Paul's attempt at stalling was recounting the plot of Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now we can talk about the Bud Buddy. I I can't find this. So clock. Harry's a boy. I might have just imagined this clock. Do you think that's possible? <laughs> Did you just read Harry Potter last night? <laughs> Wait, are you serious? I can't find it. This doesn't exist. Uh, I know it exists. You just don't even worry about. Dieter, just tell everybody about the Bud Buddy real quick. <laughs> Paul's in mortal peril. I know where his hands are pointing. <laughs> Oh my god! It's the ETA clock. That's All what you're right. looking for. Paul. So that Eric, the 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 the, the podcast is about Eric Pichagowski, who invented the Pebble smartwatch, and now he's over. Now my combinator, he's got a new company that's just going to make little random things. He's not going to try and you know take over the world of smartwatches again. And it's an iPhone case that has a battery in it, but then it has slots in the top to stick AirPods in, so, so that your AirPods are always attached to a case that's attached to your and phone. charge. It also charges. Here's what I don't understand: both the phone and the AirPods. The, 
I thought the AirPods charging case was like an integral part of the whole Bluetooth system there, right? So if you want to reset uh, the AirPods, you push the button on the back of the case, you compare them to other things, yeah. you you take them in and out, it lights, you open the lid, your phone knows to but connect. It's not like a relay station. It does a bunch of stuff, but if you're if they're paired to your phone, you don't need it around. Huh. I always thought that, yeah, yeah I, I always thought that like, so they're off when they're out of your ears, and you put them in your ears, they just light up and start working. This is, yeah, because the way I use AirPods is I flip open the case and they connect. So how do how, like when they're in the case, how do they know to connect to your ears? Just because you put them in? Yeah, because you put them in, and that lights up the IR thing, and they turn on and they're connected. Hmm. You could also open up con- Control Center, swipe over to the music pane, <laughs> which makes perfect sense, and then tap the Bluetooth thing, and then switch the Bluetooth icon. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, if this case didn't look completely insane, I'd be into it. It just looks so ridiculous. I mean, it's not. The AirPods are not like. What's the opposite of ungainly? They're not gainly. They're ungainly. Is what I'm trying to say. They're ungainly. Uh, and trying to craft a case like custom fit around their extremely weird shape yeah. leads you to a real mistake. <laughs> All right, Paul. It was a good segment, man. It's the ETA clock. You got rescued De- over De- here. De- yeah, thank you, Dieter. Really, that segment this week was called Dieter Saves the Day. <laughs> Dieter Saves the Day. <laughs> all right, can, we're going to, we have to talk about this stuff because it's all crazy. But I, we got to do it fast. We, yeah, we're, we're way over time here. But I'm just going to read this list of headlines mm-hmm. and then you guess what theme I'm trying to convey. Yeah. You, Paul, and also you, the listener. Okay. I'm pointing at Paul, but I, Figuratively meeting the listener. Sure. Functional lights. Yeah. Okay, here's a list of headlines. Spotify and Hulu just launched an amazing $5 bundle for college students. T-Mobile partners with Netflix for free Netflix. Apple and Amazon are reportedly in the running for James Bond movie rights. Marvel and Star Wars movies will be exclusive to Disney's upcoming streaming service. Roku files for $100 million IPO. Roku begins programming content with the launch of an ad-supported movie channel. Apple's Eddie Q is no longer in charge of Siri, just focused on services. For that last one, it's a little bit of a curveball. Well, I think it, it pairs with the Apple and Amazon. Q's job is just the media stuff now. That's a lot. I think the, the Q thing is like the dealing with media stuff and what stuff gets to go where and who partners with what network and whatever is clearly a full-time job. Yeah, right. and they just hired a bunch of uh, network executives from Sony and I think that's probably why the James Bond thing is happening because Sony's had the James Bond rights for so long that probably the Sony guys who now work at Apple are like, what if what if we just have that thing that we always had? And Apple has the money. Amazon has the money too. But that is a whole bunch of big tech company media partnership news all in one – in a couple of days. Most of, this, most of this stuff happened today. I – the move for these companies to start also being content distributors, yeah. to me, is tied heavily. Oh, you know what we didn't put here? Is the T-Mobile, when they did the Netflix on Us thing, John Ledger made a video where he just trashed AT&T and Verizon. That's the T-Mobile yeah, one. Sound, pretty... The T-Mobile one sticks out to me because it seems very contra AT&T and Verizon. Or yeah. T-Mobile's like, I mean... I don't trust T-Mobile to actually be a good company, although my cell phone reception has finally recovered this week after like a <laughs> month of being horrible. But yeah, like we don't need to have our own. I, I am a little tired of everybody starting a new platform. 
yeah. for media that will also create original shows. Right. But so this is, we have talked about net neutrality a thousand times in the Vergecast, ever mm-hmm. since, since the Ver- before the Vergecast existed. Sure. All of this stuff is, we're going to own the pipes, and then you're going to consume our content on those pipes, which is preferred to everybody else's content. Netflix and T-Mobile, you, you sh- everybody should go watch the John Ledger video. It's like friendship. It. his vibe in that video is not friendship his vibe in that video is everybody stop doing this garbage stop bundling I think he actually says stop bundling the thing people don't want which with the thing they want which is unlimited data so he's like we're just gonna give you Netflix because that's what you want and then he's like how much of a fucking joke is that go 90 go 90's garbage (laughs) like he's actually like saying it Uh, and then he's like and they keep buying these like faded internet brands like AOL and Yahoo what losers? Verizon. <laughs> I love having you around. And it's like John Ledger just telling the truth. I love it. I thought it was great. It's like the funniest Ledger performance I, I ever. We'll say the thing that hurt is that the T-Mobile deal is for people with two or more lines. Family plans. Yeah. Yeah. You know who doesn't have two or more lines? Do you not have a family, Paul? This is how Paul admits that he wants a family on the first Although cast. I will say, the primary, <laughs> I don't hardly watch Netflix anymore. The primary reason I keep it around is because my parents use my Netflix account <laughs> in a reverse millennial situation. You do have a family. Uh, Get them right. on T-Mobile. And they are on... Did they switch off T-Mobile? Yeah, yeah. Dang it. Well, here's a mystery uh, that you should not solve on the radio. Guess I'll have to call my parents. <laughs> uh, no, so here's this huge list of news. I think the Spotify-Hulu combo for $5 for college students is so smart. Like, everyone's just going to buy that. Yeah. Spotify is going to keep yep. building its dominant position. The Netflix thing we just talked about, I think, is great. I mean, T-Mobile subscribers are just going to do it. They're just going to watch Netflix. In a way that I don't think Verizon subscribers are just going to start watching Go90 because it's free. By the way, we have to disclose this. I'm just going to say it. Very proud of the company. Our friends at SB Nation are putting a show on Go90 about true crime and sports. Big exclusive in Variety. So there's your disclosure. That said, no one's going to watch Go90 except for this SB Nation show, which you should download the app and watch Just this show. They're our friends. So here's my question. Wait, I just want to say this last thing. Do we feel comfortable? All right. And then this Apple James Bond news I feel like Apple's taste in culture products is just stuck in like 1992. It's really bad. They're like, here's a free U2 record. We bought a James Bond movie. <laughs> like, it's all of the taste yeah. of people who th- that stuff was really cool for them. Right. But yeah. they're not. Yeah. They're not really with it. And like, they gotta get. I mean, like, I man, I try to watch Carpool Karaoke. Why like can't that. Apple give up real fast? Huh? I want Apple to give up really bad. They're not going. I mean, just look at this trend. Thing. I know. Like, this is too much of a trend for a company of Apple's size and ambition to ignore. But, like, do they just want to be the vessel for everyone else's insane content strategy, or do they want to be a player? I will say, I, I've been using YouTube Red, and... For, for a while, and the YouTube app updated recently, and there's, like, a banner up top, and it's like I'm on Netflix. So like, it's a banner. For, so in, in a kind of a different format than just a regular video, there's a banner that's advertising their YouTube Red shows, which is, like, I don't even get. Like, I already pay you for this <laughs> thing. I never yeah. got it for your original content. Yeah, I just don't want to watch ads. Yeah, I just don't want to watch ads. I wish you understood that. <laughs> <laughs> I know, man. So I... Are we we're 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 basically unhappy with this, right? I think it's 
fun. Like the uh, fundamentally, I I don't like the idea that I'm if I'm going to pick a wireless carrier, if I'm going to pick a cable company, I'm going to pick the one that's fastest and most reliable. And I don't want to pick the one because it's the one that you know happens to have a corporate synergy with HBO or happens to have you know Go ninety on yeah. it or whatever. Um, here's a disclosure for you, uh, Comcast, something or other investor in Vox Media, our parent company. How much of this do I get to blame on the uh, the Comcast NBCU thing from back when you know back in the day, and they that we let them you know merge, yeah. and then that's like the moment when the pipe and the content became the same company. Yeah. And everyone's like, well, they got away with it. We can do whatever we want. You know, all the analysis of that deal that I've ever read suggests, and again, as Dieter said, disclosure, they're an investor in the company. Good to see you, Comcast. Um, But all the analysis of that deal I've read is that it's mostly successful because they don't actually do anything. Right? NBC runs itself. Okay. And they're successful and they've got theme parks and the Minions and NBC stuff. And Comcast is a cable company, and the actual amount of crossover between the streams is like very low. And I think right. when you look at what ATT wants to do with DirecTV and HBO, and they're like, we're going to cut down Game of Thrones to be better on phones, like there's a higher level of ambition than what Comcast has been doing with NBC. I don't think that's not to say that, you know, ATT's idea isn't right, and then suddenly we're going to get all kinds of crazy Comcast stuff happening with NBC. But I yeah. think the another reality of it, which is interesting, is that Comcast is a cable company and they basically give you TV and internet to your home and they don't have a wireless business of any note. So for them to own NBC right. and then be like, we make TV, we sell a TV network, like NBC's on it now. We sell fast internet to your house and like you can go to MSNBC.com. Like the the they've done a lot of weird stuff like our internet service running on an Xbox is outside of your data cap. They do all of that stuff. But the I think the stakes of that versus everything will be wireless or mobile broadband, and we're going to do all kinds of crazy stuff around that, those stakes feel very different to me. And the, the, the kind of the level of ambition around Verizon wanting to have Go90 preloaded on phones and like doing push alerts for Go90 shows that are free off your data cap, the data caps are smaller – so getting free stuff on top of it is more meaningful. All that seems way more dangerous to me. I, I think that what is bugging me here is not like a big like moral or ethical or legal issue with monopolies or anything. It just seems so uninspired. It, yeah. It's like, you know, like the, the rush to VR, the rush to, you know, it like a bun- bunch of tech companies that didn't really know what to do next. And then they saw... Netflix doing something and HBO succeeding with on demand and they're like, oh, let's get into original <laughs> content and you know, it's just something to do because they didn't have a good idea. I mean, I see how it is a strategic important thing to own a segment of the market in, but it's just annoying to me. Well, it's, it's just another version of lock-in. Yeah. Right? Like, if you're Apple and everyone loves YouTube, and then Google's like, here's the YouTube phone. And if you buy this phone, like, we'll partner with Verizon to excuse YouTube from the data cap. Like, a lot of YouTubers will buy that phone. It's like Apple needs to be in the game and, like, create leverage against it. I don't know. I think it's – I just read all the headlines because it's a trend. I don't, like, each individual piece of news is, like, whatever. Like, Roku's IPOing, like, not huge news on its own. But as a trend, the amount of tech and media partnerships that are happening right now, 
easily the most interesting thing that's happening in the tech industry, at least to me. But I just like lights on my receiver. It's my favorite thing. All right. I think that's our show. We're way over time. I will say this. Next week, we're doing the show live in San Francisco. You should come to it. Hang out with us. We'll tell some jokes. We'll talk about all of the Apple news. Tons and tons of stuff to talk about. Who knows who will show up? It's going to be amazing. Anyway, Lauren Good, host Too Embarrassed to Ask. Dieter was on this week. Listen to that. Kara Swisher hosts Recode Decode, which is wonderful. Peter Kafka hosts Recode Media. Great for media nerds. We have a new podcast coming. It's not out yet. Why'd you push that button? I'm very excited. Listen to the pilot today. A plus. Super excited about that. That's coming soon. You can also listen to other shows in the Vox Media Podcast Network, of which I will again confidently assert that we are the flagship, not a frigate <laughs> or a schooner. I took down a schooner in Assassin's Creed last night. Of course you did. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I started playing this game. It was just like there. Anyhow, go listen to Ezra Klein show. Go listen to The Weeds. Go listen to Eater Up. So all of those are great. Lots of podcasts out in this world. And you can talk to us. Dieter's at Backlon. Paul's at Future Paul. I'm at Reckless. Love your feedback. Go to iTunes. Rate, review, all those good things. We'll see you next week. Rock and roll. Paul. Virgin Live. Run with it. <laughs>